Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 46. Finally! Finally! We finally have a little bit of resolution in the Aaron Rodgers saga. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. In time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run. Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's incomplete, and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker, the drive, gets inside, leads in. We did it, everybody. We did it from January 8th when the Packers season unceremoniously ended at the hands of the Detroit Lions at Lambeau Field. The Packers not making the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers immediately after that game saying he was not going to hold the franchise hostage from that moment all the way until yesterday with McAfee from January 8th to March 15th. All the ambiguity, all of the cryptic tweeting, all of the darkness retreats and the ayahuasca teas and the panchakarma cleanses, we finally made it at long last to some kind of resolution. Not complete resolution, mind you, some kind of resolution because there is still the small matter of actually executing the trade between the Jets and Packers. That still has to happen. That's a little hurdle that has to be cleared yet. But at least yesterday, we had a declaration of intentions We know what Rodgers wants to do now. We know where we're going to end up. It's just a matter now of how long it's going to take for the Jets and the Packers to work out compensation. That's what we learned on McAfee. And I was kind of surprised about that. When I sat down on my couch yesterday, this is being recorded on Thursday, on Wednesday afternoon at 11.55, which as a side note, I have to admit to you, I had a real moment of, I would characterize it as self-loathing. That's where I was. Of sitting on my couch, I my whole day, knowing that he was going to be on McAfee, they teased that on Tuesday, that he was going to be on McAfee at noon central time, and I built my whole work day around making sure I was going to be by a TV, by a tablet, at least near my phone, so I could stream whatever it was that Aaron Rodgers was going to talk about. And I got home, and I'm on vacation today, day one of the NCAA tournament, West Virginia minus two. That's the first bet. We're recording this at 9.52. That game starts at 11.20. I think we'll be done with the podcast by then. We have to be. But when I sat down at 11.55 and fired up the YouTube app on my TV and got to the McAfee live stream, they had a countdown on that screen. They had gone to commercial, and they had a countdown to Aaron Rodgers. Like it was Apollo 13. It's a countdown to Rodgers. And I got my little sandwich and my chips, and I was watching the countdown, and I had a moment, about 60 seconds, where I thought, this, what, is, what am I doing here? <laughs> I made My whole day revolves around this. My whole day revolves around this idiot, <laughs> around this MVP quarterback of my favorite team that I've rooted for for whatever, 15 years, 18 years total with the franchise, 15 years as the starter. 
this is what I'm doing. It was it was maybe 120 seconds. Maybe 60 seconds was shortchanging it. It was about 120 seconds of real self-loathing. But I got past it, as I typically do. That's how I've continued to work in radio and do podcasting and blogging. You get past it eventually. It was actually nice to feel it again. It was. It was, oh, God, I can still feel things. I just had that moment of, this is ridiculous. But I was surprised we got anything because if I remember correctly to last year, I'm pretty sure there was a break at some point in January until late February with the Tuesdays with McAfee segment. And I'm pretty certain there was at least one and maybe two episodes last spring where Rogers hopped on McAfee and they teased it and they had a million trillion viewers on there. He said yesterday they had almost half a million concurrent YouTube viewers. I know that maybe doesn't mean something to everybody, but when you work on my side of things, when you work in radio and podcasting and live streaming and all that kind of stuff, that is absurd. That is that in today's era, that's like the final episode of MASH. You know how they always talk about the MASH finale had 120 million people watching it because it was a different era because there were four stations, there were three TV stations, and everybody watched all the same stuff. That's Similar, that amount of concurrent viewers on a YouTube stream in the middle of a workday on a Wednesday, half a million or more, I don't know what he actually ended up with, 600,000, that's crazy. Those are banana land numbers. But anyway, I think last spring they did at least one or two episodes, at least one, where they went on and he just said, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody anything. And they talked about Panchakarma and whatever else, and it was all one big tease. This has all been one big tease. That was my expectation for yesterday. I thought we were going to sit down and watch this, and he wasn't going to tell us anything, maybe a little nugget, but nothing that has any real power behind it. And then they started the segment by talking for 10 minutes about this darkness retreat, and I thought, here we go. This is it. They're going to do this for 20 minutes, and then at the end of it, he's going to say, up, I've got nothing new to report, and sign off until next week. But then he basically said, at some point, 10 or 11 minutes in, he basically told Pat McAfee or asked Pat McAfee, hey, can I just have the mic and stand up here at the podium for a minute? And then that's when we finally got some real information. And I have to concede, I thought he was going to air out a lot of stuff at the beginning of that because he started with the timeline, well, back in 2020 when they drafted my replacement, I thought, oh my God, are we going to get a month by month, (laughs) day by day blow of everything that's happened since then? But he did ultimately end up with the quote heard around the NFL world where he said, my intention is to play and my intention is to play for the New York Jets. Hot damn. We finally got it. He finally said it. Okay, now we can work with that. Now we know as fans, I'm sure the general managers and the hierarchy on each side probably already knew that. He hinted that they had known that since last Friday. They know what's been going on, as you would expect. But we finally had the declaration of intentions of what he wants to do. Now, if you want to go back and parse out the timeline that he gave out about how, what did he say? He said at the end of the year, he felt like they wanted him back. And then he didn't communicate with them for two months after saying he was not going to hold the team hostage. But his feeling was at the end of the year that the Packers were open to having him back. And then he went on this darkness retreat. His claim is that he was 90% retirement when he went into the darkness retreat, 10% playing, which I feel like he was gaslighting a bit there, but whatever. It says that if that's how he feels, that's how he says he feels. I can't tell you how Aaron Rodgers feels. Only he can tell you or lie to you. That was his feeling going into the darkness retreat. And his interpretation of events was he came out of the darkness retreat 
and he went to whatever conclave they have there that has one bar of service, and he just was able to oh, get his phone, and he had to stand on his right leg with his arm at a 90-degree angle, and then he got just enough service to load up Twitter and find out that the Packers' intentions had changed, and it sounds like they're shopping him. And in that moment, the 90-10 to 10 became 90-10 to 10 the other way, where he wanted to play with the chip on his shoulder, and he wanted to play with the New York Jets. Again, if you want to go through this timeline and interpret the events as he sees them, the order doesn't make any sense. Honestly, if you go back and look at it, there is a lot of gaslighting and lying that's happening there. He's giving you his interpretation. The Packers will give you their interpretation. And the truth, as always, friends, is somewhere in the middle. There's three sides to every story. The truth, lies, and what's in the middle. And that's probably where we're at. But... It would take an hour to go with a mind hunter, true detective breakdown of what he said in the timeline. I find it extremely hard to believe that from January 8th until March, whenever he went on this darkness retreat, March 2nd or March 3rd, that after not talking, it doesn't sound like to anybody with the Packers that his feeling was that they wanted him back. I I don't know. There's a lot of stuff there that doesn't make a lot of sense. But the long and short of it is, long story long, as I like to say on the B93 Morning Show, and I'm in the middle of a long story, long story long, He wants to play. He wants to play for the Jets. His claim is he's not holding anything up and that there is just arguments right now about compensation. He kind of gave a Farvian line. Remember when Favre left, or when he gave interviews going to Minnesota? I'm pretty sure it was after the retirement from the Jets where he loopholed his way out of there so he could get to where he always wanted to be, to the Minnesota Vikings, so he could stick it to the Packers. And he did that interview with Greta Van Susteren or whoever it was on CNN, and his argument was, if you don't want me, if you want to move on to Aaron Rodgers, if you think he's the future, that's fine. Then just let me go. Well, well, Brett, that's not how things work. Well, Aaron, that's not how things work. When a team has your contract and has your rights, this is an economy. It's a sports economy. They want something in return. They need something in return to give you to somebody else. That, even if they don't want you, that's how it works. Well, Rodgers sort of hinted at that. Well, if you don't want me, if you want Jordan Love, then why not just do whatever the Jets want you to do and get me away? But his argument was that he's not the one holding things up. At this point, the Packers and Jets just cannot come to a concrete agreement on what the compensation is going to be. And then he did say some things, which Aaron does. He said very nice things about Green Bay and the fan base and how that'll always be his home and how he has a lot of love for a lot of the people in Green Bay. He referenced some specific restaurants he went to, which is nice. It is nice. I mean, that's nice. And I saw a lot of articles written about that from the restaurant owner's perspective about how excited they were about his patronage over the years. It was a lot of nice stuff about Green Bay and the organization and the fans. And then he had a lot of nice things to say about Jordan Love, which to Aaron Rodgers' credit, anytime Jordan Love has been brought up as the future of the franchise, he has had nothing but glowing things to say about his talent, about the future that he thinks Jordan Love has. If you think back to the Favre transition, when they asked him about Rodgers, he was very dismissive and very cold. Rodgers has not been that way. It doesn't seem, at least in public. You Maybe you'd have to ask Jordan Love how things were in private, but I think he's, the few things we've heard Jordan Love say, I think he has echoed the support that Rodgers has had for him publicly. So he added a lot of that stuff at the end, and that was all nice and whatever. And now we know. Now we just wait to see what's going to happen and how long this is going to take. That's what brings me to my next point in the conversation, leverage. I don't know where I stand on who has the leverage here. And honestly, maybe nobody does. My feeling was initially that the Packers had the leverage. Then during the Rodgers interview and after the Mark Murphy comments last week, I felt the Packers had given their leverage up. But the more I think about it, 
I think it's a slight advantage for the Packers in terms of leverage of getting what they want because the Packers have a plan. The Packers have a quarterback on their roster that they know is going to be their starting quarterback next year. The Jets don't have that. So if it comes down to it and the Jets just refuse to give the Packers anything close to what they're looking for, the Packers could just hold on to Aaron Rodgers, and there's not a whole lot anybody can do about that. And honestly, the clause in Rodgers' contract that gets to June 1st, if they get to June 1st, which you don't think is going to happen, but if it were to happen, there is a clause in the Rodgers contract where the Packers take on a lot less dead cap money if they trade him after June 1st. And maybe that's a part of the negotiating right now. Maybe that's why the Packers are waffling if they think they can get from now until June 1st and then have the less the lesser dead cap hit. That's a lot of time between now and then, but that's an option. And they know the quarterback they have, and if it came down to it, Aaron Rodgers would be a $60 million backup. I don't know. They know the Jets have no quarterback plan. All of the other quarterbacks in the NFL now, Carr is in New Orleans and Garoppolo is in Las Vegas. Any of the other options, even Baker Mayfield, where he just signed Tampa, all of the other legitimate options are gone. And if the Jets don't get this, and keep in mind the Jets have now invested $44 million in Alan Lazard, which I think is appropriate, by the way. I saw a lot of Packer Twitter going crazy about how much money Lazard got. It's not 1997, folks. It's not 2005. $11 million a year for what Lazard gives you. If he's healthy, he'll give you 70 catches a year, 800, 900 yards, maybe 1,000 yards receiving, seven or eight touchdowns, and he's the best blocking wide receiver in the league. And while there's no stat to back that up, there is a lot of value there, and we saw that during his time in Green Bay. That's the going rate, and who knows? It's a four-year, $44 million, but you know how NFL contracts work. It could be they could have an out after two years. It could be a one-year, $15 million deal for all we know once you get into the nuts and bolts of the actual contract. But that's the going rate, everybody. I think when Randall Cobb signed his massive extension in 2012, he got about 9 or 10 per, and that was, what, 11 years ago? That's the going rate. Lazard got paid slightly better than MVS did last year going to KC. And Lazard, in my opinion, is a slightly better wide receiver than MVS. That's the going rate. But would they have signed him if they weren't so invested in bringing in Aaron Rodgers? I would think not. They've spent money there. They might be spending money to bring Randall Cobb in. That wouldn't be a lot of money. Mercedes Lewis, that wouldn't be a lot of money. Odell Beckham Jr., we'll see where his head's at and if he's even going to play and how much money it would cost to get him. Rodgers did talk about that, too, on the interview when they asked him about the wish list. The wish list he gave him, he said it was ridiculous, and he said, well, I might suggest some people, or if they ask about some of my former teammates, I'm going to give them an honest interpretation or an honest answer, but I didn't give him a wish list. Okay, whatever. We're parsing words there. But they are invested in bringing in some of his guys. They need Aaron Rodgers because if it's not Aaron Rodgers, it's Zach Wilson. And they don't want to do that. They feel they have a top five or top ten defense, which they probably do. And they feel they're a quarterback array away from competing for a Super Bowl. The Jets feel that way. I don't know that I feel that way. We've talked about this on podcasts prior. Even with Rodgers and whatever draft picks they make in April, and there's a lot of time there could be more trades, they could bring in Devontae. I wouldn't rule anything out. You know Devontae wants out of Las Vegas at this point, I would think. They may bring in a lot of big names that would make them the betting favorites in the AFC East, but even if you just add Rodgers and Lazard to the team they currently have, I'm not sure they're the betting favorites even for the division. But they are so vested in bringing in Rodgers that the alternative going to Wilson is almost a non-starter at this point. That, to me, gives the Packers leverage. Now, if you're the Jets, you're saying the Packers have no other offers. There are no other teams, as far as we know, interested in making an offer for Rodgers. So we can lowball them, and if they don't want to take the lowball offer, 
then they're going to have a $60 million four-time MVP backup quarterback that's causing a lot of drama once you get to training camp and family night and all that kind of stuff. It's not going to get that far down the road, I don't think. But if you just weigh out those two things, I do sort of feel like the Packers have slightly more leverage just because they have the rights to Rodgers, they have his contract, and they have their planet quarterback already in place. The Jets don't have that. Well, we'll see. We'll see how long this takes. I kind of thought this would get done yesterday as soon as the interview happened and all the intentions were declared. But we're still waiting. I don't know what the compensation is going to be. There have been reports the Packers are asking for two first-rounders. They have leaked, I think, that they are not looking for that. Are they going to get a first-rounder? Would they get two-thirds, two seconds? You got to get a first-rounder, right, for Aaron Rodgers? Come on. We're not going to get two third-round picks for a four-time MVP? I don't know. At this point, I guess, who knows what's going to happen. My thought was always they'd get a first-rounder, this year's first-rounder, which would be the 13th overall pick, and one other pick, and then the Jets would have to eat some of that contract. In my mind, that's always how this is going to play out. But I also thought Aaron Rodgers was going to play for the Packers this year, so what the hell do I know? But I I thought that's where we were going to go. One first-rounder, maybe a third and a fourth, and then eat some of the contract, and we're all on our way. But whatever it is, there's obviously a disagreement right now between the Jets and Packers as to what that conversation is. But leverage was a big conversation yesterday. I do feel slightly that leverage is on the Packers' side, given they know their quarterback and the Jets don't. Legacy is another conversation for another day. We've talked about that on podcasts before. Rodgers did say during the McAfee interview that he is arguably, or I think he, the word he used was debatably, which I, is that a word? I don't even know. Arguably, he said he's the greatest Packer of all time, or he's in the conversation. That got a lot of people fired up because it came off as so cocky, but was this? I mean, we know who Aaron Rodgers is. He's a cocky guy. That's a part of it. We've known that for almost two decades. Is that shocking to anybody? And he is in the conversation. He absolutely is in the conversation as the greatest Packer of all time. There are so many great names that played for this franchise. In my opinion... Bart Starr, and I didn't watch the Star era, but I have read a ton about the Lombardi era. I would argue I would go toe-to-toe in terms of the books I've read about them with anybody. And I've read his biography, which is a great read. I've actually got it sitting right next to me, if I can find it real quick here. Lambeau, Donald Driver, that first season. I think it's just called Bart Starr. It might be downstairs. It might be in the showcase bookcase. I'm in the office right now with the books that are hidden in the office that are loaded up in here. There's a couple of shelves we have in the living area downstairs. Like if I were to do an ESPN interview like Adam Schefter and you wanted a library behind you with thought-provoking books, that's where I would do it. I think that one's downstairs. It's a great read. But it's a different era, obviously, and the stats will never match up. But five championships, two Super Bowls, stand-up guy. To me, Bart Starr is the Green Bay Packers. I would put him number one. But Rodgers is three or four, right? I mean, two, three, four. Where does he rank with Favre and Don Hudson? And you get into those kind of conversations. You can debate it one way or the other. I do think it'll be an interesting legacy conversation when you compare Favre and Rodgers. Because when Rodgers won the Super Bowl in 2010, 2011, the calendar year 2011, and then he won the MVP the year after that, at that point... With the ring, the Super Bowl MVP, and the one MVP, the first of four, it felt like a mortal lock. And given how good his stats were, no interceptions, throwing the same amount of touchdowns, it felt like a mortal lock that his legacy, the back of his football card, would be greater than the back of the Brett Favre football card, which seemed inconceivable in 2008 when that whole transition happened. But three or four years later, we all kind of felt that way. Well, (laughs) they never made another one. So when you weigh these two things between Rodgers and Favre, Rodgers has the one Super Bowl appearance and the one ring. Favre has the two Super Bowl appearances and one ring. 
Rodgers has four MVPs. Favre has three MVPs. Favre had one stint in rehab. Rodgers has none so far, unless you want to call the darkness retreat rehab. But, you know, that, that to me now is an interesting debate between those two. Favre was so beloved. Everybody loved Favre. Now, we know a lot more about Favre now. And during his time in New York, not a good guy. I mean, he might not have been a good guy in Green Bay, for all we know. It was a different world. We didn't know a whole lot other than the press conferences. There weren't cell phone cameras and all the rumors and airing out dirty laundry. That that stuff wasn't happening in 1993 through whatever, 2005 or 2006. And we saw him get in trouble in New York. This whole welfare story in Mississippi is ugly, too. We don't want to get into that. But there's a lot of stuff that's ugly after the fact. But during the Favre era, there was nobody more beloved. 99% of Packer fans loved Brett Favre. And that might be shortchanging it. I don't know that Aaron Rodgers was ever that beloved. We knew he was a better executor on the football field. He was a surgeon. He never turned the ball over. He wasn't a gambler. He was one of the best. But I don't know that he was ever beloved the way that Favre was beloved. And that's a part of the legacy conversation. But when you weigh those things, does the extra Super Bowl appearance cancel out the extra MVP, Roger says? I don't know. That's an interesting debate. But he did talk about that during the McAfee podcast. And people did. There were Packer fans gasping. Oh, my God. He thinks he's the greatest Packer of all time. Well, he said in the conversation. And he is in the conversation. He's for sure top five, right? I don't know if there's any debate about that. He is top five. He's one I don't know about that. There are two or three, but he's top five without question. A couple of other tidbits I wrote down. Jets games become pretty intriguing now, don't they? I'm trying to remember in 2008. I do remember the local CBS affiliates. And now, again, it's a different world. CBS at the time, they did all the AFC games. And Fox did all of the NFC games. And now you see them go back and forth a little bit more. But I remember in 08, it was still that way where CBS did the AFC games and Fox did a lot of all the NFC games. And the CBS affiliates in Milwaukee and Green Bay had to campaign basically with the NFL to get all of the Jets games, even if that wasn't going to be the marquee game of the weekend. They wanted the Jets games in the local markets because of the interest of watching Brett Favre. I would imagine something similar is going to happen if that's still how it goes. Or the local, whatever it is, Channel 58 in Milwaukee and Channel 5, I think, in Green Bay would have to campaign a little bit or at least talk to the league about making sure that they have all of the Jets games. They do become more interesting. I don't remember, even with that element in 2008 where a lot of the Favre games were on TV and you saw a lot of Favre Jets jerseys at Packer games, I do not remember if I sat and watched a lot of Jets Favre games. I don't think I did. Some people did, but I didn't. I was cognizant of what was happening. I would look at the box scores. If he was having a big game, if it was on at a bar that I was in, I would watch it. But I don't know how invested I was in Favre Jets games in 2008. But it is an added layer of intrigue, perhaps, for some out there about watching Rodgers in New York, how he does. And if it doesn't coincide with the Packer game, I do feel a lot of noon Packer games are incoming. For the people that were begging for more noon Packer games, I feel we're probably going to see a lot of that this upcoming season. And that's not to say the Packers can't be successful with Jordan Love, and I don't know what they're going to do. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what Love can do. I was excited by some of the things we saw last year, but from a league media perspective, I don't know how many 325 primetime kickoffs or Sunday night games or Monday night games the Packers are going to be on the hook for now without Aaron Rodgers there. I would think a lot of noon games are incoming, and that makes the old people, myself included, (laughs) The old at heart, 
very happy because it just helps you get on with your day after that noon kickoff. 325 really is the best kickoff. Those primetime games as you get older are a little tough. But I think a lot of noon games are incoming. But I just I cannot remember how excited I would have been to watch Favre with the Jets in 2008. I think I might be a little bit this year. If they're on and they don't coincide with Packer games, I may watch parts of a Jets game just to see how Rodgers is doing. I'll certainly keep up with the box scores and all that kind of stuff and the standings to see what the Jets are doing. But I do I do wonder about that part of it coming into the season, how many Packer fans are going to be interested in watching those Jets games. And then two other things I had. Number one, and we've talked about this, I am very excited to see the Matt LaFleur offense. And maybe I won't be excited by the end of the year. <laughs> maybe it won't look, look that good, but at least we'll know. My feeling is, and this is just a gut feeling, my feeling is coming into the team in 2019 with what LaFleur thought the offense should look like, I would bet between catering it to Rodgers in the meetings Rodgers had and trying to style it in his fashion, putting things in that he knew Rodgers would like, the audibles Rodgers was calling, the RPOs, the hot routes, I would guess we saw 40% or 50% of what the real offense that Matt LaFleur wants to run looks like. Remember, coming from that Sean McVay system and the Kyle Shanahan Niners system, it's a run-heavy system. Remember in 2019 in the NFC Championship game how Raheem Mostert ran wild over the Packer defense? That's how that offense is supposed to look. And you have Aaron Jones, and you have A.J. Dillon, and we felt all year last year like they weren't getting the ball enough. I wonder if that's going to change a lot this year with Jordan Love. And we're going to see a lot more emphasis on the run game, which we thought we were going to see last year. Another part of it is going to be getting the ball out quicker. Rodgers, certainly because of his talent level, his ability to extend plays, that was a part of why he was so good. But it's also a part of why sometimes things didn't work. And Jordan Love, from what we saw in the Eagles game, and again, it's a very small sample size, that Eagles game. It was against a pretty soft defense for half a quarter. But what we saw in short stints last year was Love taking the snap, getting the ball out to the first or second read, and getting on with it. Rodgers didn't do that so much. So I am excited to see what Matt LaFleur's offense looks like because you know Jordan Love. He doesn't have the profile. He doesn't have the resume to be calling a ton of audibles, to be changing things up, to be arguing with his head coach like I'm sure Rodgers probably was in quarterback rooms all year long or debating things. Love is just going to be a 25-year-old or 24-year-old kid, and he's going to say, okay, okay, I'll do what you want me to do. We'll run what you want me to run. From that perspective, it should be interesting to watch this Matt LaFleur offense with Jordan Love in charge. The one other thing I wanted to hit on, who's the backup going to be? Because there is some very big interest and compelling storylines there. You have to assume they're going to get a veteran backup, right? You need a guy with some credibility in the league that has started at times or been a career backup. I don't know. But somebody with kind of a name. They're going to have to spend a little bit on a backup quarterback. Not just because, or not because you don't think Jordan Love can do it, but if Jordan Love does struggle or there's an injury or something like that, you need a more reliable veteran backup. I'll be very interested to see who the Packers hone in on for that backup quarterback. But I think they're going to have to probably spend five, six, seven million on a veteran backup quarterback on a one-year deal. I've seen some people floating out Tannehill. Is he out there? That, to me, would put some pressure on Love. Maybe that's not a bad thing, given that Tannehill's had success in the league and put up some decent numbers and taken Titans teams to the playoffs. That's a name I've seen floated around on Twitter quite a bit, but I am very interested to see who the backup is going to be in Green Bay. That's another layer to the storyline there. Okay, I think we got it all out. I think we got all the Rodgers stuff out. More of the legacy stuff in future podcasts or future years, probably. There's no reason to get into that now. We talked a bit about it and I think, episode 42 or 43 about... 
how he's his numbers are beyond repute. He is going to be a Hall of Famer. Certainly, you wish for more success in the playoffs. That's not all on Aaron Rodgers. It's a team game, and a lot of those years, they had bad defenses. What was his name in that 2016 NFC Championship game? Ladarius Gunter, a seventh-string cornerback trying to chase around prime Julio Jones. There's a lot of that, but yeah, certainly one of the all-time greats in the conversation. A lot of wins, a lot of touchdown passes, not a lot of turnovers, a lot of weird off-the-field stuff, and a lot of heartbreak in the playoffs. That's all baked into the cake, but we can talk more about that way in the future. A few other things to hit on real quick. The NCAA tournament starts in an hour, everybody. Get your bracket set. You want to go game by game. My final four, I think we talked about this, Arizona, Duke, Gonzaga, Houston. I've got Arizona over Gonzaga in the championship game, but whatever. We all know that won't look. That's not how it's going to look by the time we get there. But that's what I'm hedging on. And the NIT got underway on Tuesday at the Cole Center. Badgers got a win. Steven Crowell had a nice game, 36 points. I mean, better than a nice game, 36 points. He was threatening Frank the Tank for the single game high. What did Frank put up against North Dakota State, 42 or 43? He kind of looked like Frank the Tank on Tuesday. It's against a lesser opponent probably, but, you know, the Missouri Valley champions, regular season champion, Bradley Braves. They get the win. They take on Liberty at the Cole Center on Sunday. Liberty with kind of an upset over Villanova. I was kind of looking forward to that Badger-Villanova potential matchup on Sunday. But it'll be the Badgers and Liberty at the Cole Center on Sunday night. Crowd looked okay. I mean, good seats were still available for sure. But you figure it's the NIT. It's a Tuesday night. It's an 8.30 tip time. And the Cole Center has been pretty dead this year, even for important games. I thought the crowd was okay, and the team played pretty good overall. Again, like we talked about when they accepted the NIT bid, I don't see any harm in getting these players out here who mostly are coming back next year, getting some experience in March, playing games. You know, you play. If you're a basketball player, if you're a hooper, you hoop. That's what you want to do. All these guys, I'm sure, want to keep playing games on their home floor and take it as far as they can go. Earn 40 more minutes. We want to play 40 more minutes. Well, they've got 40 more against Liberty on Sunday. Marquette gets their tournament cranked up tomorrow against Vermont, looking for that first tournament win in a decade. I don't think it's going to be easy. Vermont's not a bad 15 seed, and as we discussed, more so now than ever, those 14, 15, even 16 seeds They have a lot of talent. There's so much parity. Fairleigh Dickinson, who won a play-in game last night, I think they're going to give Purdue all they can handle because Purdue has sort of been overrated in my mind this year. I think that's going to be an intriguing 16-1 matchup, which is coming up tomorrow. Well, Marquette and Vermont, 145 tip time on Friday. Marquette still holding as a 10.5-point favorite. And the Bucs back on the floor tonight. What a back-to-back, man. I mean, this team, they're just so good. In Sacramento with the Donnie Brook, with the fight late on Monday night, Brook Lopez. I just love how quick he was to stir things up when Giannis got shoved. Did we do a podcast? Was it on Monday? So we didn't do a podcast about this. I blogged about it, I think. First of all, Giannis instigated that. And I would love to proclaim Giannis's 100% innocence as somebody who carries the torch for Giannis, carries multiple torches for Giannis. When he was dribbling the clock out, and you heard the Kings guard De'Aaron Fox say that at the end of the game in the postgame. He said all Giannis had to do was dribble the ball out. And a lot of Bucks Twitter said, well, that would he, that's what he was doing. He was dribbling the ball out in a nine-point win for the Bucks. Well, I don't know. Anybody that's watched a lot of basketball or played basketball, if you're dribbling the clock out, 
just dribble it out, standing right where you are. He did not have to walk directly in front of Trey Lyles. Maybe something was said, maybe something was not said. I have absolutely no problem with Trey Lyles trying to poke that ball away at the end because of what Giannis did. The problem starts with the shove. If you want to try to steal the ball or whatever, that's fine. I think that's fair play considering what Giannis did. But then the shove in the back, you can't have. And Brooke Lopez was on him like white on rice. It was unreal. Can you imagine seven foot one? What is he? Three hundred pound Brooke Lopez just coming at you. Brooke Lopez, when that scuffle really got going, he moved seven people. If you watch the, because it was not just Lyles and Lopez. Drew Holiday got in there. Fox got in there. And as Brooke moved, the pile moved. And then as Brooke was going off the floor. You can see him. I'm not as good of a lip reader as Kramer and Seinfeld. They said sweep together, you idiots, not sleep together. But I'm pretty sure Brooke says to Giannis, I got your back, bro. They can't do that bleep to you. And I just love it. I just love this team is so likable and so talented and so deep. How did we get this? How did we get this precious, precious gift? I said on the air on B93, I think it was on, it must have been after that game on Tuesday, or maybe it was on Wednesday after they beat the Suns the next day. Then after that, they beat the second best team in the West against in Sacramento. There's the scuffle afterwards. Then they go to Phoenix with no Middleton on knee load management, and Middleton was great on Monday. 31 points, 9 assists, 5 of 8 from beyond the arc. That's the biggest part of Monday's game for Middleton. He looked like Middleton again on Monday, and he's starting to look more and more like that as the games go by, which is encouraging. But you had no Middleton in Phoenix, a Suns team looking for revenge after the Bucks beat them at the Pfizer Forum a week or two ago. And that's a tight game late. And the Bucs just flipped the switch in the fourth quarter, take control and win that game too. But I was talking on the air after probably the Phoenix game then. Even if you're not an NBA fan, and I, there are plenty of people in my life that just don't like the way the NBA operates. They don't like the style of play. What, making shots? <laughs> making shots and making ultra-athletic plays? What's not to like there? But there are people that will say, oh, I like college basketball better when the money's not involved and they're playing for the pride and playing for the university and blah, blah, blah. They like college basketball better. They like the NFL better, whatever. If even in just if you're a casual fan and you're not paying a ton of attention, you're just missing out on a lot of fun. They play tight. They play connected. They treat each other like family. There's zero ego, it seems like. There's zero drama. They share the basketball. This is an elite-level team and an elite-level locker room. And even if you're not a huge basketball fan or not a big NBA fan for whatever reason, you're just missing the boat on an unbelievable franchise right now. There's that scene at the end of The Office, the final episode, where Andy Bernard says something to the effect of, I wish we knew, I wish you knew when you were in the good times before they're gone. These are the good times. And they'll be gone before you know it. Before you know it, it's five, six, seven years in the future, and Middleton's retired, and Giannis is at the end of his career, hopefully still in Milwaukee. Before you know it, it'll be gone. I don't, for that reason, if I can, I don't miss a minute of a game on TV or radio. If I have a chance to go, you go to the game, because it's just never going to be like this again. What, however long this era lasts, there's no chance it'll be as good as this again. Ask Bulls fans. And I'm not saying the Bucks are going to win six titles like the Bulls did in the 90s. That's insane. But... Ask Bulls fans, once that was over, how things have been for them since then. Maybe a flash in the pan here and there when Derrick Rose was healthy. But other than that, it's been 20, 25 years of a whole lot of nothing going on there. So don't let this slip through your fingers. Even if you're not a big NBA fan, you will be a fan of this team. You will love this team, even if you don't love the NBA. Don't let this opportunity go past. Okay, that's that's my sermon there at the end on the Bucks. They're at home against Indiana tonight. The Celtics did win. 
It's a two-and-a-half game lead right now in the East for the Bucks. They played one last game. That'll get rectified tonight. You would think a win at home against Indiana. We'll see. A 7 o'clock tip time in the middle of all that college basketball tonight, too. It's a hoops day. That'll do it for us here today. We'll chat with you on Monday. Maybe we'll have the trade done, and then we really do have a period at the end of the sentence on this Rodgers, Jets, Packers fiasco. We'll recap the first weekend of the tournament. I'll be broke, I'm sure, but happy. That's the title of my autobiography. And we'll recap a couple of games for the Bucks over the weekend, and we'll be getting closer to opening day. We'll chat with you then. Have a good weekend. 